and welcome to The Solve Network. My name is Shane Borza, and I'll be your host. Along with my co-founder, Benjamin Goss, we'd like to welcome you. Our mission is to provide solutions and create a network of experts for you to learn from. Now, this show is a little different than most podcasts, as it is actually a live call held twice a month. If you can, please join us on the first and third Thursday of each month so you can get your questions answered live and direct from the experts themselves. If you're an expert, please contact me at shaneborza.com so you can be a part of the network. And now, here's our show. Scene one, Apple, take one. Hi, I'm Shane Borza, your content creator coach. I have two books on filmmaking, Film Notes, where you learn to write, direct, and produce, and the Film Notes Workbook, where you can learn checklists and paperwork to streamline creating your content. Available at shaneborza.com. I also have filmmaker resources like the Paperwork Bundle with over 300 documents, the Sound Effects Bundle with almost 3,000 files, and the Music Bundle featuring 900 tracks of all genres. Want to build your professional credits? Become an associate producer and get listed on IMDb. Let me help you get your art out into the world. Scene one, Apple, take one. So first off, James, thank you so much. That was a great presentation. You had a lot of information there, but it seemed very integrated and it all fit together. My first question is, you mentioned the T-Bear and the being, and I'm curious if those are concepts that you created yourself or those things that you found, and uh, how did you kind of put those together if you did uh, one or the other? Yeah, I'm uh, thumbing through the slides to pull that up for you here. So the T-Bear notion really comes out of the work of cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's where this kind of beliefs, emotions, actions, results, um, philosophy comes from. But arguably, a lot of this information is older than even the scientific method, right? Like a lot of this stuff, especially related to you are not what you think and the challenges related to identifying with the thoughts that we have and identifying with the ego, those are thoughts as old as Buddhism, right? And even before the Buddha, those were philosophies that were being shared in Vedic texts. So uh, a lot of this information has roots that is thousands of years old that many teachers um, share in some form or another. So for me, the, it is the integrative experiencing that is kind of my insight around this. And that comes from the school of training, uh, coach training that I experienced and also the psychological fitness training that I um, completed. But that's kind of my take on all of that work. So um, the non-identification with the self plus cognitive behavioral therapy 
Um, yeah, so that's kind of my synthesis of those philosophies. Perfect. Well, I see a bunch of questions in the chat, so I'm going to ask some of those for the people who are on the call. So first is, do you have any statistics or data on the negative impacts of some of the overexposures you were talking about as far as like the technology that we have these days, like Bluetooth news, poor light, and that kind of stuff? So I don't have any stats at hand on those. And, you know, I think certainly I'm sure that they exist. There's also the challenge of measuring some of those things because uh, there, there are so many variables, right, to which we are exposed. So it's difficult to control for some of those. And so I think that that's where the N equals one experimentation uh, becomes especially valuable because, you know, what there, we all have bio individuality, right? So what works for me um, might not work the same for you. And actually what harms me might not be as harmful for you. So there, obviously we have a high degree of bio individuality, but a lot of my philosophy and teachings are rooted in the notion that we have spent, you know, arguably 200,000 years as uh, Homo sapiens living uh, in tune with the natural world, and we have only spent about 200 years exposed to light, uh, the artificial light that we have now after sundown um, and exposed, you know, even, you know, the exposure to social media, you could argue is say 20, probably not even 20 years, right? So that's where the notion that our ability to innovate technologically is outpacing our ability to adapt biologically. And so my belief, and I think we see this trend already, is that in the future, the new luxury will be the ability to disconnect rather than connect. So it's an interesting thing just popped in my head I hadn't thought about in years. I had a minor in anthropology and took a lot of courses in anthropology, archaeology, cultural anthropology, all that kind of thing, which was, of course, the study of ancient civilizations. And one of the things one of my professors said, specifically in regards to light, is that for millennia, the sole purpose of light after the sun went down was either a campfire, a torch, or the hearth. Because when, once you had some kind of a structure, even if it was a teepee or a log, longhouse or a log cabin, was literally just basically a fireplace. But the interesting thing that I've never had anyone tell me is if you're outside in your you know, prehistoric man, 
your fire was on the ground and you were sitting or standing above it. So the light was always even to your height or below you. It was never above you unless it was sunlight. So when we go into the modern world with street lights, traffic lights, lights in our house, those are all overhead lights. And our biology doesn't understand overhead lighting because the only light that's overhead is the sun and all other forms of light in our biological evolution was below us. So one of the things she said is, if you want, and, and this was not biohacking in 1994, but uh, one of the things that she said is, if you want light to work within the structure of your evolutionary biology, use floor lamps. Never use overhead lighting because your mind doesn't understand what that is. And I, I hadn't thought about that probably since she said that until you just said that. So that was a, a, a nice unlocking of a kind of tip that I had forgotten all about. So I'm really, really thankful that you brought that up because I think you're right. A lot of the things that we know in our body, we don't know in our head. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm so glad you shared that. Um, of course, you know, the bio, biohacker in me is like, oh, now what kind of crazy lamp setup am I going to make <laughs> for, for some floor-based red lighting? So a couple other things I want to get to before we wrap up. So question is, the because you were talking about food earlier, so what's the difference between a quote healthy and unhealthy relationship with food. Hmm. Um, that is a great question. You know what I have experienced personally that was game changing for me, and uh, I know clients have had a similar experience. Is actually. Fasting, intermittent fasting, revealed to me my relationship with food. And as I mentioned, food is complicated because it plays so many roles in our life, right? We have the little Italian grandmother or, you know, I think probably everybody's grandmother wants to feed, feed them. Um, so we have, you know, have food as a form of care, right? Caregiving, like a way of showing love. We have food as a form of connection in the form of um, like social bonding. Like we, a bunch of guys loving to go fire up the barbecue you know, I was actually vegan for 10 years of my life, and it was a really interesting experience to be vegan because it is kind of like a needle scratching across a record when you're in a social setting. And even if you don't even say anything about being vegan, you just order something that is out of the ordinary that everyone else is ordering. And like everybody's head pops up. And so that revealed to me part of the social uh, component of eating. It's almost like there's like 
this peer pressure or this like normative component of, oh, we are all eating the same thing. So we are uh, having a shared experience or we are alike, right? Um, So there's that component. And then there's the eating for entertainment, right? Um, Because we're bored. There is eating as a form of self-soothing because we are upset. So I think that a healthy relationship to food is, this really ties into the notion of your life as a meditation. And that is a healthy relationship to food is when you put the food in your mouth, you know what you're doing. You are actually doing it consciously versus subconsciously. And so much of what we do, not just related to food, so much of what we do related to our entire life is done unconsciously. And so I would say a healthy relationship to food is knowing when you eat the choice that you're making. Yeah, I love that. And I I really appreciate the kind of list of what eating is or what food is in society because there were several things on there I hadn't thought of. So we started a little late, if it's okay, I'd like to go a little longer if you have time so we can get some of these other questions answered. Yeah, gladly. So the next question was, I've heard that it's better to have carbs in the morning so the body processes it more efficiently. It doesn't sit on the gut. And I know that you had mentioned the reverse Uh, as far as kind of timing when to eat certain things like proteins, fats, carbs. So can you speak to that? Yeah, so I think, again, it really boils down to bio-individuality. So what works for me may not work for you. Um, There, and I think it depends on what your goal is, right? If you don't, if, if you eat carbs in the morning and you can have sustained energy without having to eat again in two hours or four hours or whatever, that's great for you. Um, or maybe you don't even mind, right? Like there are some people used to be back in the day, we were eating like a bunch of little meals, right? That was the, the recommendation back in the day. And I don't even mean to poo poo that. I don't do that anymore, but if it works for you, that's awesome. So I, uh, there's no diet that, uh, I'm, I'm not, I have no philosophical attachment to any form of eating. I know what works for me and you have to find what works for you. There is a benefit to hearing about the experience of others to the extent that like, Oh, okay, well, wow, that person had that experience maybe I'll give that, give that a try. So um, I, I haven't experienced any challenges related to uh, carbs in the evening being on the gut for too long. There's also, I think it's probably an issue of how much carbohydrate you're consuming and in what form, right? So, you know, some people might digest um, vegetable-based carbohydrates like sweet potato more easily than they digest, say, 
uh, wheat-based carbohydrates like pasta. Yeah, great answer, thank you. Uh, next is you had talked about the different aspects to fitness as far as like flexibility, strength, conditioning, and you know, basically the question was if they're not very flexible, what is the hope for them to get flexible? And then the follow-up was you had mentioned sarcopenia and if you could talk about what that is. Yeah, so I think, and I experienced this personally some years ago, I was experiencing a limited range of movement when I would bend over to pick something up off the ground. And I was, I, the thought went through my mind on more than one occasion. And I think that I even began to believe like, oh, this is just normal. This is what life is supposed to be like. And I, I don't remember what snapped me out of it, but that was a, a place where I was some years ago. And um, now, you know, my goal is to be a supple leopard, to quote Kelly Starrett. So, and that's why I put flexibility first in the spectrum of fitness. So flexibility, strength, conditioning, because without the flexibility, it's going to be hard to do the other things. And I think that flexibility is the easiest place for people to start and uh, at any kind of fitness level, right? So I'm sending my parents little videos. There's a guy who has a practice that's called like Elder Gym, I think is the name of it. And so he's always, I'm on his email list. So he sends me these little emails about how to be more flexible as, a, as an older person. And so I'm sending those to my parents. So, you know, the issue with sarcopenia is kind of like the house is on fire, right? If, you, if you've if you hit 35 and you're not strength training, then you are muscle wasting. Um, and I didn't mention this in the nutrition part, but there's also a component of consuming enough protein to maintain body muscle. So if you're not maintaining that muscle, then it's a double whammy because that muscle is part of the basis of your metabolism. And so that is what helps you burn calories at rest. But also uh, that muscle is what is keeping, it has its anti-aging component. Uh, so it's keeping you young and keeping you strong. One of the greatest perils, right, of older people is falling and breaking a hip. And so maintaining that flexibility and maintaining that strength is especially important. I mean, look, I live in Alaska. I live in a place where like, it's really slippery as heck in the winter. Uh, and I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like for, for older people who live here because I mean, I can't, I've fallen plenty of times like flat on my back on glare ice. So um, there's, there's a real benefit uh, to having that flexibility and having that resilience. And I think we've all seen way too many times, either parents, loved ones, family, friends who uh, get up in years, they have a fall that breaks a hip and then it's a rapid 
decline um, after that. So I would say that maintaining that flexibility and that mus body muscle is um, just essential. Great, thank you. So related to that, the next question is about getting some more fitness in and being mobile and, and having some of the things you just talked about, like flexibility, conditioning, et cetera. They uh, are saying that due to a lot of travel, they are erratically mobile. So I'm assuming that means they have a lot of time where they're seated in a vehicle of some kind. And then when they're not, they're, you know, out and about. But you mentioned earlier that, you know, if you're a cross country trucker or you're someone who's in an office, you might not be moving very much. So what would you say if you were going to give a couple suggestions to someone who does have a lot of their day is kind of like sent, uh, spent in a seated position? What would be your kind of top recommendations for that? So I would, uh, one of them would be a gear uh, purchase and the other would be a, uh, an intervention, right? A practice. And so the gear purchase would be some form of kind of compression wear, right? Compression pants, uh, compression socks, compression tops, uh, something that will support um, good blood flow uh, for people that are in a sedentary position. And then the other thing that I would do is the same thing that you're recommended to do on an airplane when you're on a cross-country flight, right? So obviously, if you can pull over and get out, that's going to be the best thing because literally being able to stand up, bend, stretch, et cetera, is tremendous. But obviously, there are times when you're on the road, you're trying to, you're short on time, you can't pull over. And, you know, if you can safely have the vehicle in cruise control and flex your quads, right? Like basically do almost like an isometric exercise in the form of flexing your quads, flexing your calves, flexing, bracing your core, flexing your arms, back, etc. You're at least going to bring some muscle awareness, uh, some body awareness to those areas, some innervation. So that is what I'd recommend for someone who's literally stuck in one of those places. So that also brings something that I long forgotten about to mind. When I was in the police academy, they talked about the fact that there are going to be times when you get in the car and all you do is drive around the base for 12 hours because we did 12 hour shifts. And how do you keep yourself awake when you're just in a car driving loops and some days nothing happens. And one of the things they suggested is either putting the seat back all the way up or all the way down, because both of those are uncomfortable, uh, and or putting the seat all the way back. And then you have to perch on the edge of the seat in order to reach the pedals to drive. And both of those force you into an act, what they call an active seated position. And as opposed to making yourself super comfortable so you can kind of lounge while you're driving. So uh, I hadn't thought of that in years either, but uh, I, I will say that uh, I guess subconsciously when I am tired when I'm driving, I don't lean back against the seat. I lean forward so I'm not laying back because yeah. it's comfortable. That's a, great, that's a great addition. Thank you for that. 
you're bringing up all this old stuff that I <laughs> haven't thought about in years. This is great. Uh, so next thing is, do you have a list of any immune supporting things that you do or would recommend? Um, I, I don't have a list written out. I could certainly prepare one. Um, so I am a big believer in zinc. So, and I don't do all of these things every day, right? I use them as a tonic versus um, so that, you know, it's kind of like adaptogens are things that you don't want to use daily because you don't want to kind of uh, deplete their kind of punch, right? So um, elderberry extract or elderberry syrup has long been uh, used to support uh, immunity, zinc. Um, I also like to get as many phytonutrients in as possible. So here's something fun that I've been doing is I've, for a long time, I have always eaten a lot of dried herbs because they're easy to add to food. They're tasty and nutritious. And I literally began to do this within the last two days. And that is I buy herbs in bulk, right? So you can buy a pound of rosemary for, you know, I don't know, 16 bucks or something. You, it's a lot cheaper to buy it in bulk than it is to buy it in those tiny little spice jars. Anyway, so I have my own blends of like, you know, Italian mix or whatever. But what I started doing is putting it in a coffee grinder. So I think, you know, maybe today I did probably two tablespoons of dried herbs and it wouldn't be very comfortable to have those dried herbs in your mouth like when you're eating your food because they're kind of spiky and like they get between your teeth and just uncomfortable. But if you run them through an old coffee grinder, which is what I've been doing, it literally kind of pulverizes them to a powder. And you would think that like, oh, two tablespoons of dried herbs is going to be really overpowering. But when you grind them up, they aren't overpowering. So that's one way that I'm adding phytonutrients to my food without, um, yeah, it's quite affordable and pretty easy to do. The other thing that I'm a big fan of is bee propolis. So there's a company called uh, Beekeepers Naturals and they make a propolis spray. So I'll use that when I feel, if I feel a little tickle in my throat come on and I can't believe I didn't already mention vitamin C. So I'm a big believer in taking vitamin C to bowel tolerance when you're experiencing um, an immunity challenge. And so literally that might mean taking five grams of vitamin C every half hour until you reach bowel tolerance. And generally you'll know when you're heading in that direction because you'll get a little gurgle in your tummy. And so I've knocked out, you know, there's uh, Linus Pauling is the kind of, uh, I think he was a Nobel Prize winner behind this vitamin C research. And he has this thing basically that he calls like the 100 gram cold, uh, which is the notion of like 100 grams of vitamin C will knock out uh, a cold. Obviously, you're not taking all 100 grams at once. Uh, if you can get access to IV vitamin therapy and get a big bolus of vitamin C, that's awesome. Um, but for me, where I live, I'm just taking liposomal vitamin C. So it's vitamin C mixed with 
but it's bound to a fat that makes it a little bit more uh, easy on the gut. And so, you know, generally five grams per 30 minutes. You're muted. Thank you. So two more questions. Is it healthier or unhealthier to work on rapid weight loss as opposed to kind of more longer term or kind of, I guess, slow term uh, weight loss? Sure, I would go with slow term weight loss. First off, what we know is that there are a lot of toxins stored in body fat. And so if we are releasing all of those stored toxins into the body and we haven't prepared the downstream detoxification pathways, then we might ironically be losing weight and feeling really bad. Um, furthermore, I think it's generally speaking, weight loss is, comes in a form of habit change, right? And we're not seeking to, we're, I would argue that we're really not seeking to lose weight. We're actually seeking to live a more supportive, healthier lifestyle. And so in that sense, the number on the scale is, you know, arguably irrelevant. I mean, look, we know that um, some of these uh, metrics related to blood pressure and uh, blood glucose uh, regulation, et cetera, we know those are real uh, threats to our health. But um, I think that it's a much safer and sounder approach to uh, modify, to live a life that supports the body composition that we want versus thinking of like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. Yeah, well said, I definitely agree with that. And uh, last question is, do you have any recommendations, nutritional or otherwise to facilitate increased metabolism and overall health? Uh, the carry on to that is, what do you know or think about mega dosing with vitamin D, for instance? Oh, well, and I should have mentioned the mega dosing with vitamin D when it comes to immunity, right? Um, and so, I, first off, I'm not a doctor and I don't even play one on the internet. Uh, actually, I'm a doctor of law, but I'm not a doctor of medicine. And so, what that means is that, you know, consult your physician for. Um, kind of advice on this issue, but I certainly am a big fan of supplementing with vitamin D in the form of both uh, vitamin D3, also exposure to UV light, if you can get UV light exposure. And what we know right now is that uh, related to coronavirus, there we have seen that folks who have low vitamin D levels are actually at greater risk of um, contracting and having complications with COVID-19. So there uh, now more than ever is a good time to be paying attention to sunlight exposure and uh, your vitamin D levels. And you can get an at-home vitamin D test kit for a pretty cheap uh, if you Google it, um, you should find one pretty easily. They're probably about $60. 
You shouldn't even have to go to a doctor to do it. Um, so I strongly encourage that. And um, the remind me what the first part of the question was, Shane. Yeah, did you have any specific recommendations nutritionally or otherwise to facilitate any increased metabolism or overall health? Oh, yeah. So I am hearing that as uh, argue, because it's asking about metabolism, I'm hearing that as a weight loss question. And so the answer that I would have on that is, um, and I'm getting some feedback, might not be a, a weight loss question. I think my answer is still the same, which is uh, fat, fasting, intermittent fasting in whatever form you can do it is likely to provide the benefit. So I alluded to this or mentioned it a little bit earlier in the presentation, presentation, which is it's been shown that people can have zero change to their actual, uh, the food that they're consuming. But if you simply eat it in a narrower window, you're gonna get an improved blood glucose response you're going to get improved body composition. So the, now what I can tell you is if you're not fat adapted, meaning if your body uh, has been trained to rely primarily on glucose, uh, carbohydrates as fuel, and you're not um, able to burn fat as fuel quite yet, then um, intermittent fasting could be a little bit difficult for you, but it's doable. You just got to do it. It's just like anything else. You want to learn to play the guitar. You just got to play the guitar and practice the guitar. If you want to get good at intermittent fasting, you just have to gradually incrementally, you know, increase that, that, uh, kind of not eating window. But that's what I would suggest is, um, the, the benefits of intermittent fasting are, like so tremendous and it's so eat like once you actually begin to do it it's become so easy that it is just awesome well thank you for that answer and all the answers to all our questions and i appreciate you staying on a little longer i know you provided us with your contact information and website but I'd like to give the opportunity if you have anything coming up that you'd like to showcase or if you have any courses that you're specifically offering to clients uh, to talk about that before we go. Yeah, thanks, Shane. So I am accepting clients here. I have basically three spaces for the next quarter. So if folks are uh, looking to get uh, a hold of their nervous system and integrate their experience in a way that provides them with more ease, less anxiety, less frustration, uh, more joy, happiness, and connection with their partner, then I would love to hear from them. Um, it's been really fun. My, the last two clients that have hired me have been very, um, I guess, like, scientifically minded or, you know, um, even I might put into like the skeptic category, right? Like the kinds of folks that are like not the type to typically uh, hire a coach. And so it's been especially fun 
to work with those gents because they um, are getting fantastic results. And so it's really fun to see these guys who were, you know, maybe a little bit standoffish, a little bit skeptical in the beginning. And now, you know, they're uh, improving their relationship with their wife, improving their relationship with their children, uh, getting better results at work. And so it's, uh, it's been really rewarding. So if you are an entrepreneur or a professional who wants to experience uh, less anxiety, more ease, joy, and connection in your life, uh, please uh, feel free to give me a shout. Great. Thank you for that. And I'm sure that uh, some people will be listening to this when we send out the recording. So hopefully those slots will be taken up for you. Hi, I'm Shane Borza, a climber, creator, and coach, and I want you to build the skill of health and fitness. My new course is a priceless gift to you, and it's available exclusively on PonoQuest.com. That's P-O-N-O-Quest.com. Build the Skill is a minimalistic, functional, real-world fitness program which can help you to move better and get stronger faster. I can't wait for you to check it out. And when you do, please let me know how it helps you. That's build the skill at PonoQuest.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Solve Network. As a reminder, these calls are held live on the first and third Thursday of each month. If you'd like to join us as either a listener or guest expert, please contact me at shaneborza.com. On behalf of my co-founder, Benjamin Goss, we're glad you are a part of the network and hope you are finding solutions. If you need solutions, please reach out.